believe it's on. It is. Okay. All right. Uh, we're going to be looking, of course, go to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Now, truthfully, we're only going to cover about uh, three verses in Hebrews chapter 4, but uh, I wanted to, uh, first we're going to speak up at verse 13. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13 is where we're going to, uh, to look right here tonight. Uh, we, we covered this one last time, but I, it, you always have to kind of back up to, to get your uh, foundation right so that you know what that next verse is really talking about. And in, in that, it says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom uh, we have to do. And, and so uh, when, we, when we look at, at that verse, what we're really looking at is the fact that uh, we've got this incredible God. We've got this incredible Savior. We've got, uh, we've got someone that, that knows us, sees us, understands us, looks, looks into us, uh, as we talked about that uh, opened, it means that literally just kind of cut us open and look inside of us. Uh, so we've got this amazing, omnipotent, omniscient, omniscient, uh, omniscient omnipresent Savior, uh, this all-powerful Savior that we have, Almighty God. And he says, because of that, now look at verse 14, seeing then, because you have this one who knows you inside and out, seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Now, hold fa why should we hold fast our profession? And that profession is not like a, an employment. That profession is, is a confession. It's what we state we believe, our profession. And so uh, why do we, why we hold fast? Because. Uh, that's what it says, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed in the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let's hold fast our profession. Uh, why, uh, for we, we, because we have this great high priest, and, and when you talk about the word great, it means it's talking about size and age, and, and uh, Jesus, if you don't know this, is, is, is quite a bit older than any of us uh, because he is eternal. His rank as belonging to, uh, to people, eminent for ability, virtue, authority, power, uh, things, esteemed highly for the importance of great importance. Uh, it, 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 it just all these uh, superlatives about what this word great means. And so uh, even to the point of the majesty of God. And so uh, this, this great high priest is who we have. So we have a great high priest that is in heaven right now now ever living to make intercession for us, and this is what this verse says, we have this incredible great high priest who's already in heaven, and he's ever living to make intercession for us. And that leads us to verse 15. And you're thinking, boy, you, you're going to get through it very quickly if we're already uh, uh, only three verses. We're, we're down to the second one, but the second one's going to take us a little bit because the emphasis of the second one, I'm, I'm going to uh, make clear something tonight. Verse 15 says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. But it was in all points, and again, every word's vital, all points, tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Now, what we're going to see through the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. He's all three all the time, but he came to perform the duties of a prophet. He is now performing 
primarily the duties of a high priest. He took the blood of the, to the mercy seat. He ever lives to make intercession for us. So he's performing the duties, so to speak, of the high priest right now. He will return as a king. And so this is who this our Jesus is. Now, as a high priest, he understands our feelings, for he faced them all and was tempted in every area that we may be tempted. This is so vital. Thank you, Brother Roy, uh, for, for doing that. Brother Roy made a last-minute run to pick up Matthew, made it just in time for church. Amen? I uh, appreciate that. Now, this means that the, look, that means that whatever you can think of, whatever you've been tempted with, watch this, whatever you've succumbed to, whatever you've been faced with, I don't, I really, it's hard for me to comprehend that Jesus was te- tempted with all of them, but, but the Bible says he was. And all points, like as we are, that means the, the temptress tempted him with the immorality. Somewhere along the way, that the woman of the night came to him. He was tempted with alcohol. He was tempted with whatever drugs they had. Uh, matter of fact, if you really, we're not going to go into it, but if you study the cross, you'll, there's a, a very unique thing about the cross where he rejects something on the cross. Uh, truthfully, what it comes down to, it was a drug, and Jesus didn't come not to suffer, he came to suffer. He didn't come to have a painkiller taken away, he came to suffer all of it. And that's uh, really going to somewhere I didn't want to go tonight, but he was tempted to lie. He was tempted to tell the half-truth. You say, how could he be? I don't understand it exactly, but everything, to, you know, when the pressure's on and when you're in front of somebody and they're, they're asking you questions and the answer of that question is going to bring you some, some penalty, so to speak, or some, some pain, there's a temptation there. Somehow he was tempted just like we've been tempted. He was tempted to become angry. He was tempted to become bitter. He was tempted to become prideful. I mean... God says he was tempted at all points like we are. Now, I want you to understand, he never sinned. He never succumbed to any of that. But somehow it faced him. Somehow it hit him in the face. Somehow it came to him. And and again, I cannot fully explain it. I really can't. Because with us, you almost tie temptation in to sin. You understand? When we think about being tempted, what we're really thinking about is when we fail. We th- you know, that, that ultimately we're going to fail. But somehow, he faced that same enticement, but rejected it. And so, now, you put in the temptations you have faced in life, and, and it says in all points, in every way, to the same degree. And so, uh, no matter what you want to fill in there, and I just threw some out to make us think, but no matter what you want to put in there, Jesus faced it. Now, the difference in Jesus Christ and me and you is that he never succumbed to the temptation. He never sinned. Now, watch this. Praise God he never sinned, for if he did, then we would have to pay for our sin because he would have to pay for his own sin. It is absolutely vital that our Savior, Jesus the Christ, Never sin, for if he did, he would have to pay for his own sin. Now, here's where I, I just felt impressed that, that I need to, to go into an area tonight. When I, when I started studying about this, this fact, and it's something that's a given to us, it's something that we say, and it's something that we believe, that Jesus never sinned. Anybody believe that? Yes, 
He never sinned. Now, that, that's, that's the whole foundation of everything we believe because if there was one little bitty, uh, any type of uh, half-truth, any type of lie, any type of, uh, of, uh, of sin, any type of immoral thought, then we don't have a Savior. Now, here's where I'm, I'm going tonight. It's so very important to me that we understand that our Savior cannot and did not sin. But now, here's the danger that I'm, I'm seeing right now. Right now, in our country, in our churches, and even in our fundamental Baptist churches, we have a movement that's going on, and it's a movement to a different version of the Bible, but it's, the, it's a version that has really taken, uh, taken hold, and it's, it's only about, uh, probably about, uh, I guess, about 17 years old, uh, and been revised about five or six times in those 17 years, but, it's, but I think even by the name of it is <clears throat> it's part of the reason it's taken such hold, but it's called the Standard Version. I'll be honest with you, our young preachers in the fundamental Baptist churches are using the English Standard Version. You'll see it when they post things on Facebook and different things. They'll post the English Standard Version. Now, uh, immediately, if one of them was to hear this tonight, they would immediately say, oh, no, here we go again. We got one of those KJV-only people, and he's just a fanatic, and he's all that. No, I, I, I'm going to try to bring just a little bit of reason to this thing, and I want to try to show you uh, uh, what, what's so very important. The, it, go to John chapter 7, verse 1. Now, this all hinges. You think this doesn't have this, but this is all hinging uh, right here uh, on this truth in Hebrews that Jesus never sinned. He was tempted, but he never sinned. John chapter 1, John chapter 7, verse 1 says, After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of the tabernacles was at hand. His brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence, and go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. For neither did his brethren believe in him. So this whole statement right here, they're really just in a sense, sort of mocking him and challenging him. You know, you, you really are you, who you say you are. Then go, go show everybody. Don't hide yourself. But, but look at verse 5. It says, For neither did his brethren believe in him. Then Jesus said unto them, My time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but me it hateth, because I testify that, that the works thereof are evil. Go ye up unto this feast i go not up yet unto this feast for my time is not yet full come and when he had said these th these words unto them he abode still in galilee now uh i've got to i've got to turn to it myself uh hold on john chapter 7 verse 1 is in my notes there but i'm going to turn to it now look at verse 10. I started not to do this, but look at verse 10.
But when his brethren were gone up, then went he also up unto the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. Okay, look back at verse 9 then, uh, I mean verse 8. Go you up unto the fe- this feast, I go not up yet unto this feast, for my time is not yet full come. And when he had said these words unto them, he abode still in Galilee. But when his brethren were gone up, then went he also unto the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. Anybody see a key word in those three verses? Anybody know what the key word is there? The word yet. You see, that word yet is so vital, so vital. I want to read you this, what has become the, what they're trying to make. I don't know that it is, but what they're trying to make, the standard Bible, uh, as in, you know, the King James has been the standard. You know, you, it, it, have you ever noticed that every other Bible is compared to the King James? And so what they're trying to do is move the King James out of the way and let the English standard, okay, let it be the standard to judge all other Bibles. Here's what it says. Start at verse 6. Jesus said, uh, said to them, My time is not yet come, but your time is always here. The world will, cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify about it that it works, that it works or evil. That its works are evil. It needs to be a possibility. That, uh, you go up to the feast. I'm not, look at this, I'm not going up to this feast. For my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee, but after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. Do you see a problem in this passage? Jesus, and according to this, says, you go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast. I am not going up to this specific feast. I am not. You know what that means? He's not going up. At all. Watch this now. There's no way they can try to justify it. I am not going up to this feast. That would mean in its entirety, I will not be at this feast. Does this make sense to you? But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up. Folks, that's a lie. Watch this. That's a lie that when Jesus, if, if, this, if you read this, that book, and you trust it as your standard, what you're saying is, I have a Savior that has sinned, which means you no longer have a Savior. Now, the word yet is eliminated from the ASV and from the Darby and from the ESV and, and, and you can go on the, NA, the NA, uh, uh, NAS. It's, it's about 15 of them here. Uh, the RSV, those are the ones that you would know the best. Uh, the, the NIV. And so the word yet is eliminated. And that word is vital. Now, here's the word yet is so vital to the integrity and honesty of Jesus Christ. The word yet was translated from the word 
uh, O-U-P-O, upo, uh, and it is clearly found in the Greek's textus receptus. So it's there. So they can't say, like, we left it out because it wasn't in there. It's there. But it's been removed. Now, I just want to say this. If there were no other reason that I would not use that Bible, that would be enough. Because it makes my Savior a sinner, and if there's, and that's true, then I have no Savior. Does anybody understand where I'm going? You see, we're in a generation that doesn't think anything's really important. It's all kind of, you know, well, it's no big deal. Everything's no big deal. Everything's okay. Everything's, it doesn't matter. It does matter. This is such an important issue that I'm going to give just a few problems with the ESV, although I really don't need more, but I'm, I'm going to, because I, I, I really, because I, I care and because I, I'm not worried about, and it's reason that, that when we do the, you know, our live stream, I'm not trying to put it out. I don't put it on Facebook so the whole world can see it and, and decide whether they like it or not. I'm, I'm, carried, I'm cu- trying to do what I'm doing for Calvary Baptist Church. And the simple truth is the, the, oh, Satan is very deceptive, and if you're not careful, he will come in into, even to our own people because you've got some pretty big named and pretty reputable people that are recommending this. Now, I understand that, that many will believe this is a fanatical defense of the KJV, but I don't believe so. This is a revealing of a Bible that takes away the sinless perfection of Christ is all it is. Now, why do I, comp- uh, why do I compare with the KJV? Because it was and is the standard. It has been the standard for 400 years. And for no- neither 250 years, there's not been even spelling changes or punctuation changes, much less textual changes have been for 250 years. Now, why do I use the uh, the ESV is because it's growing in its popularity, and it's, it really is. I mean, it's, it's, it seems to be the one that's just catching hold to, to everybody, especially, forgive me, especially this millennial generation and all. Now, before I start, I, I never know who will ultimately be listening to this, but if you are, I want, I want you to think for a minute, because I never know who's going to end up listening to this. And so, Again, I want you to just think with me for a minute. If, you, if your defense of the ESV is that it's more easily understandable, I'm going to just ask you truly to research it and see whether it really is. Now, they claim in, the, in their own ad for the ESV that, the, that it's, it's an 8th grade, 7th, 8th grade level and that the King James at a 12th grade level. Now, I'll be honest with you, I don't care about all that grade level stuff because it really doesn't take into a fact that it, it just looks at syllables and looks at number of words and sentences and things like that. And the truth is, I do understand that there are words uh, that are not as familiar in, in the King James Bible. I understand that there's some words. So uh, whether it's, uh, what's easier to read, and I also understand we're in a dumbed-down society. But I ask you to truly research and see whether it really is. The fact is, is that there's all, the vast majority of the research doesn't say that it's at 12th grade level at all. So where did they get that, and why would they throw that in there? If your defense of the ESV is, is 
deleting verses is okay because no vital truth is deleted from Scripture for it's found in other places. That's the big... You see, we're about to look at uh, at least 23. I'm, uh, I'm going to hand you out a, fly, uh, a brochure here or a handout uh, that has 23 deletions, verses or passages that are deleted. And here's their, their primary defense is that, that the, the, uh, whatever is eliminated, it's okay because it's stated somewhere else in the Bible. I want you to think about this for a second. Since you have long ago thrown away the standard, the King James Version, if, you're, if you've moved away from that and now you're at the ESV or something else, you now have an, and you ha- now have this new standard, the ESV, but they take a few verses from the ESV, what's going to happen then? Watch this now. If, if right now, here's what's, what's happening. They're taking some verses and taking some truths and taking some doctrine from the King James, but they're saying, but, but there's other verses that teach it, so we're okay. But watch this now. When the, I hope this never happens, but if the King James is, is over here and is starting to be forgotten and your new standard is over here, and, and, and that's the ESV maybe, and it's over here, and so now... You've got a generation that doesn't even know about those verses. You've got a generation that doesn't even know they exist. Wait a minute now. So now let's change this one because we're going to have to update it now. We've got it because, man, language has changed and things have changed. And the, the, the ability for people to understand has changed because our society's dumbed down. And so here we are. We've got to simplified, and guess what? Let me just tell you, they're going to eliminate some verses from this one. And when they eliminate some verses from this one, let me tell you what they're going to eliminate. They're going to eliminate little by little what you said was okay because it was still here. It's going to be gone from here eventually. Ask yourself this question, what would you believe when 5, 10, 20 years from now the SV is replaced and the new deletes more of these verses? Since you have long ago thrown away the standard, what are you going to believe now? What will you do if there's an even, watch this now, here's the other thing. See, the ESV doesn't even come from the, the same mother as as the King James. The ESV is basically based on the RSV, which they'll all tell you that they never thought the RSV was a good translation in the first place. But yet the ESV is based on the RSV. Now, the ESV takes out, what will you do if there's, watch watch this now, here's one of their big things. It's, it's, It's based on an older text. And everybody knows that the text is older, it's going to be closer to being right than the newer text. At least that's their statement, which is a total fallacy. But it's, going to, it's older text. Now, watch this, folks. There's nothing to keep them from finding another older text. What happens when they find even older text, an older Bible? And it tells you that there's a purgatory. What happens when they find an older Bible and it tells you that there's no hell? 
What happens when you find an older Bible and it tells you that you're not saved by grace, that baptism is essential to salvation? Now what are you going to do? Older don't make it right, folks. You say, well, why? It, well, the, Again, you know, I'll give you just a little bit of uh, a one statement that somebody made. You know, if, if I never use this Bible and I just lay it up on the shelf because it's missing some chapters, it's missing some pages, it's missing something, you know what? The rest of it's going to look pretty good. Because all it does is sit there. But buddy, if I got everything in here and I'm using it, anybody ever had one fall apart? So what are you going to, I believe you got more credibility when you take parts of something that's fallen apart because it's been used so much than you do something that's almost complete. It's been sitting there because everybody said, that's got too much stuff messed up in it anyway. Now, I know, I know, it, it, you know, this, and this part of the reason I don't put it out there, I know if any anybody looks at, they'll, they'll dissect everything that I'm saying and saying, oh, it's just that same old line of thinking. Well, let me help you. It, you use the same old line of thinking too. Number one, the ESV takes out the blood of Christ. Weakens the importance of the blood. Colossians chapter 1 verse 14 says, in King James Version says, in whom we have redemption through his blood. Colossians 1, 14 of the ESV says, in whom we have redemption. What, folks, the blood of Christ is very important. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. The ESV denies the deity of the Lord Jesus or that, uh, or that he even believed he, he was God himself. Philippians 2.6, the King James Version says, Who being in the form of God thought it not rivalry to be equal with God. And I want you to listen to this one now. Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. You know, Jesus thought, look, you know, I'm not stealing anything to be equal to God because I'm God. Amen. Listen to what the, the ESV says. He says, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Did you hear that? Did not. He didn't believe being equal with God was even something he could grasp. That only not only says he's not God, it says he didn't believe he was God. You watch this now. If he didn't believe he was God, then he's a liar. 1 Timothy 3.16, ESV attacks the deity and incarnation of Jesus Christ by replacing God with he. And you think, well, is it important? Every word's important. Uh, 1 Timothy 3.16, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up to the glory. Uh, 1 Timothy 3.16, the ESV, great indeed. We confess is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh. He who? The SV takes out the words, is come in the flesh. That Jesus is God in the flesh. 
1 John 4, 2 says in, in the King James, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. The SV says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh uh, come in the flesh is from God. Sounds okay. But in every and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not of God. It doesn't call him the Christ. It doesn't say he's come in the flesh. Now, folks, you, you say, well, right before that, it, I understand that, but what we're doing is it's a, it's a weakening, progressive weakening of the Scripture. Jesus, there's a whole lot of Jesuses in the Bible. I mean, in, in that time period, there had been Jesuses everywhere. What Jesus are we talking about? What the defenders say is that it is already stated so it does not diminish the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Look at what it does do. Verse 3 says, Jesus, not the Christ. Jesus is a personal name. The Christ is incarnate God, the anointing one of God, anointed one of God. The repeating of in the, in the Christ and in the flesh are for emphasis that you must confess only Jesus, the Christ, who came in the flesh. At best, the version seriously weakens the passage in the meaning, and it's in and its importance is revealed in the changes made in Isaiah 14, 12. You see, we're weakening who Jesus is, that he's God incarnate, that he's, he's Jesus the Christ who's come in the flesh. And that's maybe why we see in Isaiah 14, 12, it says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? That's the King James Version. Isaiah 14, 12 of the ESV. How are you fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn? How are you cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low? Day star. 2 Peter 1, 19 says this. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Wherein to, to ye dwell, do dwell, do well that ye take heed as unto the light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. You see, the day star is Jesus Christ. And here they've changed it to make the day star Satan. Now, Finally, just a bit of information which refutes the so-called greatest reason for using the ESV. They say it's readability, and I already mentioned to you, but I'm not going to go into this right now, but, but the truth is uh, I put down two different places that I looked, and I, I looked probably ten different places that are going to rate you know, the readability, and the only place that comes close to rating it uh, the King James Bible at 12th grade level, which is trying to say most people can't read it. The only place that states that is in the ad for the ESV. It just makes you question the integrity. 
Again, I say I don't put much stock in that because very simply, the King James Version, number one, here's, here's what you got to understand. Number one, does it have some words that you don't recognize? Anybody know that, the King James Version? I mean, will we admit that? It's going to have some words that we don't recognize. Let's be honest. Have you ever picked up any book other than C Spot Run that didn't have words you didn't recognize? I mean, really? You're telling me that if I pick up the ESV, it has no words in there that I can't recognize or, or that I don't know the meaning of? Really? Well, you got more of those kind of words in the King James Bible. Maybe you do. But don't tell me you that anybody that picks in fourth or fifth grade or sixth or seventh grade picks up the ESV, they're going to know everything in there. Can I tell you what they're going to need to do? They're going to need to get a dictionary if they really want to know what's being said. They're going to need to look up some words if they want to be said. And can I tell you something else? The Bible is spiritually written and it's spiritually understood. And we're to study to show ourselves approved. Can I tell you one of the best ways to study is for you to look up words you don't know. Do you know in speed reading, if you're reading and you're speed reading and you come to words you don't know, they teach you to stop and look up that word because your comprehension will take a nosedive from that point on if you don't know the definition. So you know what you do? the king right we're in a day and age where we got every tool under the sun. Don't tell me you got to change it now. This is the one age you don't have to change it. You got every tool. Everybody's got access to some kind of dictionary somewhere. Everybody's got access to to definition. Everybody can look up the words, and you're going to have to look them up. I don't care what you read if you really want to know what you're reading. Now, the King James Version will have some words you do not recognize, but every version will have some words you do not really know the definition. The publishers of the ESV say there will be, here's what they say, they're done. There's no more revisions. And they say, because we want it to be like the King James. We want it to stand for a time like the King James we want it to hold its place like the King James. We've reached that ultimate plateau of a standard. They don't think, I mean, their whole premise, everything that they believe in, the, look, language is going to change in the next 10 years. Words are going to change in the next 10 years. Uh, you're going to want to make more money in the next 10 years. Really? Okay, well, you won't change the ESV, but you're coming up with something else. Now, after all this is said, really it comes down to this. It comes down to verse 16. When we have a sinless Savior who is our sacrifice and our, have, and our high priest, on, then and only then can we enjoy verse 16. If you know you're saved right now, and you're saved by a sinless, perfect Savior, God in the flesh, you can enjoy verse 16. 
If you believe what the ESV is really writing, and I know you can blow it off and say, oh, well, that's not really what they meant. I don't care really what they meant. I'm, I'm going by what they said. I can't have a Bible where I got to justify what they meant. I don't know what they meant. I can never know what they meant. I can only go by what they said. Verse 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Only when you have this incredible Savior can you come boldly to the throne of grace. If you've got a Savior that was going to lie to his brothers about coming up so he could sneak in? Again, I don't know what they meant to say, but they sure didn't say it. What they tell me is that Jesus said, like me coming to you and saying, no, 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 I, I'm not going over to the other building. We're, Brother Roy, you're, you're having a party next week right Sunday I could say to you oh no I'm not coming over I'm not coming over here at all I promise you I'm not coming over I'm not going to that at all that means you know the whole feast I'm not going at all and then I come sneaking in the back door to get me some pizza Oh, you'd be gracious and think, man, he must have got hungry and changed his mind. But I think it calls the Savior a liar. Now, I'm just doing this for our people. I beg you, folks, there's some things that are important. And listen, I'm just, I'm just telling you, I, I don't know what what kind of a Bible God's going to put his hand on. It may be in Chinese, you know, 50 years from now. I don't know. But I know he's had his hand on this book called the King James Bible. And I know if there's ever been a time that we don't have an excuse for, can say we don't understand it when we read it. There's only two reasons you don't understand it. If you're lost as a goose and you don't have the Holy Spirit. Now the truth is, I'm no smarter than the average bear. And I started reading it, and somehow I started figuring it out. But it wasn't me. Holy Spirit was guiding and teaching me. Now, what I'm going to do, and, and uh, I'm going to have my John or Daniel, some of you, if we could have, well, let me just do this. Let me just how many of you would, I've got, what I have here, I have 23 verses. I meant to try to go through this. I've got 23 verses, and I say verses, 23 verses or passages that are, that are just completely omitted from the uh, ESV. They're just, they're just not there. Or, here's what they've done. They've been, they were taken and put in the footnotes so they're not actually in the passage, they're in the footnotes. Or they've taken the whole passage and they parentheses, so put a line bef before and after it, 
And what they've said was, this doesn't belong here. Now, this is the height of hypocrisy, folks. If I believe the Word of God is the Word of God and I shouldn't add to it or take away from it, why would I put in a passage that I don't believe was ever supposed to be there? That doesn't make sense. If I really, why would I confuse somebody by putting something in there that's not supposed to be there? And you know, one of the passages I love, it's the one that this new generation throws in our face all the time. Mark chapter uh, 16, 9 through 20. No, yes. Uh, let's see here. No, I'm sorry. John, that's it. That didn't look right. John chapter 7, verse 53 through uh, John chapter 8, verse uh, 11. It says, And every man went unto his own house. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what saith thou? This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down with his finger and rode on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone at her. Hey, folks, listen to me. I hear this from this new generation all the time. Y'all, uh, you can't judge. Let him that hath no sin cast the first stone. Hey, don't say it to me anymore, young boy. It ain't even in your Bible. And the only reason that it's written in your Bible is because they couldn't take it out because so many people believed the standard and they wouldn't accept the fact that it was gone. And what I'm going to show you is that, that in here there's so many verses that they delete and when you do, the next verse or the previous verse don't make a bit of sense. It totally takes a sense away. So anyway, I'm going to give one out to a family. Joe, help me here. Uh, could you raise your hand if you're a family member or an individual that is a family of yourself? Okay. I promise I may have to make more, so you don't get one. Jordan has more? Oh, praise the Lord. Okay, good. Yeah, just raise your hand if we need to get to you. And what I did on this is I, I, I put down the verse, and then I put down uh, what, what happened to it. Removed to the footnotes. They just moved it to the footnotes. Or I put, and then beside that, I put kind of like my little comment on there. And uh, it says, teaches, you know, like uh, this one. It says, and Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that, thou, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That sounds like a pretty important verse, doesn't it? It's been removed. It, see, it teaches one must first believe before one can be baptized. It weak, you know what it does? They're trying to strengthen baptismal regeneration, work salvation. But he says, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. 
So you can read through these and see them. I got one more if anybody needs one. One of you guys. Okay. Uh, Brother Allen, I'll close this in prayer. I've taken too long tonight.